Hey everybody, it is Sean here with Push Talk. Today I have a very special guest with me, my friend, Melvina Clark. She's going to talk about her program and what it is that they do. So Since bursting onto the scene in 2016, you have been a drum major for justice. Black Push, y'all doing it! My claim to fame is that I know Sean Smith. I am pleased to see young people do what these young people are doing. When am I gonna stop? We won't stop. And that's why I'm proud to be associated with Black Push. Black Push. Black Push. Black Push. Because you keep on pushing. You are helping to bend the moral arc of our universe toward justice. So we are back with my friend Melvina, and, and 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 the crazy part is, every time I get to do a podcast, it's always so interesting because I get to interview people who like I don't know and get to know a lot about them. So this is different for me because I'm interviewing someone I do know, but I know that we met in a very interesting way. I don't think much think it was designed for us to kind of have met. We just met kind of in the work and out doing work. Yes, and you do a lot of work with your organization. So first off, tell me, because I get them mixed up all the time, so okay. correct me right now so okay. we can have it all in my head. <laughs> okay. The name of your organization and what it is that you guys do. Okay. Um, the name of my organization is the Shaquille Clark Foundation. And um, so we basically, we're like a whole wraparound services. Um, and I do love to partner with other organizations so they could take the load off and we could focus in on the main thing of the family. But we're just a, a nonprofit organization that try to help provide the five basic needs to families. See, I love the fact that you say five basic needs because people who are ignorant like me, I don't know what that term means. But what is the five <laughs> basic needs? What, I mean, you talk about family. Okay. Um, and it's important because, you know, we have conversations in church all the time about the aspect of church and family and how we bring that. But so f when you say that, it caught, I'm going to hone in on that a little bit because of the fact that okay. I want you to explain to me what those five necessities are. How did you how did you say it again? Five basic needs. Five basic yes. needs. What are the five <laughs> basic needs that your program targets when it comes down to families? Okay. So we basically, um, it's food, shelter clothing we also cover the mental health aspect of it and that's the one thing that people don't understand and then the transportation piece that's beautiful yes so without those things it's like that's where a lot of problems come in from the home base level which pours over into the community base level so and then also too there's a there's a there's a reason why you called your foundation Shakira Clark Foundation and I wanted people to understand that, too. So how did you come to the name of your foundation? Like, how did that even come to pass? Um, well, um, in 2014, um, I went through a very um, mm, abusive situation in my life. Um, and uh, my sister helped me get out of my abusive situation only to turn around for her to be murdered by her husband, um, which entailed my mother, who she died of a broken heart after learning about it, so I had to have a double funeral for my mom and my sister, um, entailed losing a grandmother and a aunt behind a broken heart as well, and then my son, my oldest son, to domestic gun violence, and then my best friend. 
And so that's basically how the foundation came about. But the biggest part for me was my son. And and losing my son, I had to go back um, to the root of where a lot of things happen and where they stem from. And that is in our childhood traumas. And then that's what led to the man killing my son. And that's what led to the young men that murdered my son. It all came from. And so losing my son, it is, I can't even explain it. There's, I, I can't even explain the pain. You know, and, and just, you know, what I find interesting <laughs> is that I interview a lot of parents who have just recently, and just recently we did a, a whole series on, we spoke to parents who just lost children to gun violence. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a whole series on it. I think it aired like a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things that I find interesting, and most people don't understand this dynamic, mm-hmm. that when a person loses someone to gun violence, it's just not a one-day memorial for yeah. them, right? It's not a one-day event for them. It is a everyday reality and let me tell you and this is a true story I, I was telling this story to somebody we did a podcast with earlier in the day is that I woke up this morning and there was this song that was on my mind and I couldn't shake the song at all I could not shake the song and it was like God said you need to listen to the song mm-hmm. and I remember the reason why it came to my attention is because the parent at the time who had lost a child this song symbolized for her she, it, she said it symbolized everything about how she felt about her son and there was a verse in there that really like I, I wanted to hear the song, right? Mm-hmm. But I wanted to see the words. And this morning I had a meeting with my whole team, and I was like, you know, I love the fact that we do what we do, but let's come back to understanding. Let's put ourselves in this parent's um, this parent's position, right? Yes. Um, and this parent just recently lost a child in twenty twenty one, and there was a verse where Lauren Hill said in the song that she said, "When I go into your room every day, it gives me joy," right? And so many parents like you, and it's funny that even when you're talking about it, you lost your son in 2014. Mm-hmm. But just thinking about, and this is 2023, just the fact that when you think about your son, it still brings emotions out of you. Yes. Um, I think that's important for you to understand. Like, if you could tell anybody, talk to any people who are watching this podcast right now, for that grieving mother, that grieving father, right? That mm-hmm. grieving brother, that grieving sister. Yes. I think sometimes the message needs to be clearer than it's okay to grieve. And I want you to kind of speak to that because you can speak to it from a different place than I probably can. Okay. Um, oh, yes, it is. Um, for me, the grief never goes away. And I, I always tell parents when, when those parents who are and always say abducted to the the gang because it's a gang of hurting people and um gosh I don't allow nobody to tell you how to grieve because you have to get to that point in your life to where you're okay with it and not allow it to consume you so it it, it is a hard pill to swallow but you have to um you, you have to press in. You know, we, we have to, I had to get in my mind and understand that we all have a day um, that we'll soon have to come encounter with, and that's leaving this earth. And that's one thing that you have to get in your mind, but you also, what has kept me and kept me moving to assist and help others is just knowing that that experience that I had, helping to be, per, put preventative measures in place and be that support that those other mothers 
need because just, you know, when somebody has lost a child recently, I think it's important to have strong mothers who have been in this fight going forward because when it's fresh, people don't understand you got those first months or those first years, but man, when it starts to hit, it starts to hit. It starts to hit. So one of the things that uh, I love so much about you and I really wanted, um, you are what I call boots to the ground, right? You're boots to the ground. One of the things that I, I love about you so much, Mrs. Clark, is that, or Miss Clark, is that, oh, you know, you know, yeah. <laughs> no, but, no. but no, one of the things <laughs> that I love so much about you is that when, when we are in those spaces where we're having those meetings, you speak up and you speak out for people who don't get the opportunity to be in those spaces. And even you have opened my eyes a lot. I remember um, you were about, in the last couple of months, you opened my eyes to a lot of different things and how we do things. And a lot of things that, I, I'm going to be honest, a lot of things that even Black Push has been able to accomplish has been because of me meeting you. Um, because you are boots to the ground. You are on the ground. You've introduced us and opened doors for us um, and opened doors and made communications, relationships, as you talked about in the beginning, yes. that we didn't have before. Explain to people why it's important that we are actively involved in our community. Um, because when we talk about, and, and just from a standpoint, right, mm -hmm. when we talk about violence in our community, right, we can add more police, but police adding more police is not going to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. um, we have to get to the fact of dealing with family. I think you brought that up in the very beginning, right? Yes. Um, we can talk about young people not having outlets to do what they need to do, but we also need to talk about the, the music that we allow to be played in our homes to young people and the games we allow them to play, That's right? right. Um, because I have a godson that literally, like, I remember one time in particular, he was playing Fortnite or something like that, mm -hmm. and somebody had did something or killed this man off or something like that, and he went absolutely insane. Like, he threw wow. the remote, he was crying, he was upset, and in that moment, I realized, I said, no, we don't do that, because the one thing you have to learn about life is you have to learn how to win in life, and you yes. have to be okay with learning how to lose in life. That's correct. Right? Um, mm -hmm. So what I used to do is I used to literally play him in games and make him play me in games, but I would beat him on purpose because of the fact that I wanted him to understand that it is, you're not always going to win. That's correct. And when you don't win, definitely as a black person in, in, this, in this, this society, mm -hmm. as a black male, when you don't win, you have to know how to put your boots to the ground, That's strap correct. them up, and make something out of nothing. That's correct. Um, and, and, and you do that. Um, talk more about the work that you do around, because you do. I, I listen. You listen. You may not brag about what you do, but I will for you. Okay. I know this is what some of the things that I know Shaquille Clark Foundation has done. Right. Mm -hmm. You have housed women who have been abused. Right. In hotels. Correct. You have helped young men who have no place to stay find jobs. You are constantly out there helping young men and trying to get them out of gangs and keep them out of bad, bad situations. Correct. You have been a connection between connecting nonprofits. I mean, I would have never ended up at the Hope Forum if it had not been for you. So let's, let's not sugarcoat what it is that we do. Um, I want you to just talk more in detail with everybody about why it's important that we become like this is a community-based initiative okay. and why are you so why is it so important to you that you have boots on the ground like why why does it make a difference that i'm actually in these people face every day trying to help change the way they think well um one I, i'm gonna go back to when i was a little girl um that that value and those morals always stuck with me is the village concept because when i was younger um, when my grandmother, my mom them had to go to work or we were left unattended or if something happened in the community to one family, everybody pulled together and helped fix that problem. 
Um, so so I just that has always stuck with me. And that's where I've always seen. I watched my grandmother go through some hurting things, my mom, family, friends. But it was where I watched the community come together and even people they didn't know come in and build relationships. And it made everything better. You know, it didn't fix all the problems, but whatever was occurring at that moment, it came in and it helped solve a few of the issues so that we could continue to move forward. And so for me, having building relationships, having being there for each other when you're going through a tough time, that gives you the fire. But also having people around you who can correct you when you don't see the wrong that you're doing yourself or your children are doing wrong. Having that support that's there to say, okay, they did this, then let's not just fix the situation, but let's fix it at the core root. People don't like to go back and fix their problems at the core root. They don't like to acknowledge they have problems, but having the right connections, the right relationships, being the right boots on the ground, because there's a lot of places a lot of people don't want to go and deal with these people, but the same places they don't want to go is is where the greater need is. And if you fix it right there at that, it's going to fix here. But if you don't, it's still going to pour over and right. you're going to be affected. Right. And, I, you know, one of the things that I, I, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Psalms 23. In the Bible quotes David wrote, he said that my cup runneth over, right? And what people... God, I remember God speaking to me clearly while I was in the hospital last week. He said to me that people don't understand that your cup can run over in a positive way and your cup can run over in a negative way. It, it's all about what you put in your cup, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so many times I think when, when we talk about definitely our younger generation, yes. like they don't have anything positive to put in the cup. And they're, they're receiving run over, mm-hmm. but they're receiving run over of the negative that they're putting into their cup, That's right? right. Um, and, and it's funny because... A little story, I, I, I think I've told this to my team before, is that before I started doing this, I used to do restaurant construction, right? So mm-hmm. one restaurant, I'm not going to name the restaurant, uh, I brought to Atlanta. It was the very first one that we brought to Atlanta. And I remember being in New York at the time, and so the contractor had called me. was like, Mr. Smith, we got a major problem. I'm like, what's the problem? He said, there's a crack in the, in the foundation. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. I mean, uh, that's terrible. That's terrible. That's going to cost a lot of money. I said, how much is it going to cost to fix? It was like uh, roughly around ten to $15,000. And that was knowing contractors. Mm-hmm. He was telling me the base price of what it was going to cost to fix because of the amount of space. So I was like, okay, I got to see this crack. Like, take yes. a picture of this crack. I need to see how big it is so I can explain this to the, um, to the, to, to the, um, the partners. I need to see this crack. And when I said I was so upset, because he sent me a picture of a crack that was no bigger than the size of a quarter. Mm. But the square feet of the space was almost, I think, about 7,000 square feet. Mm-hmm. And the lesson I learned in that is that uh, if, it's, that if you don't fix the foundation down to even the size of a quarter, That's correct. no matter how big the platform is or how many square feet you have in the building, that one quarter mm-hmm. could cause you more damage. And what he was telling me is, like, if we can build on top of it, we can pace it up and try to make it do what it needs to do. But ultimately, one day you got to come back to this foundation and deal with this foundation. That's correct. So from what I did at that point, I made the choice up in my mind. I said, you know what? Don't worry about it. We're going to deal with it now because we don't want to have to come back 10 or 15 years down the road and have to deal with this foundation. Let's deal with this crack now. Mm-hmm. Right. And I've learned that even in life, we sometimes try to take the crack and we put 
we put replacements in it, right? We mm-hmm. fill it with our children, right? right. Um, and then once our children go off to college, we don't know what to do. I was a movie. I think it was Bad Christmas, Bad Christmas, but like these mothers decided they wanted to go visit the children. And mm-hmm. one particular mother had just lost her husband. Mm-hmm. And she decided she was going to look like her daughter, dress like her daughter, move next door to her daughter. Oh, wow. And the problem was, as you watch the movie, was that she was still hurting from the pain of losing her daughter's father, mm-hmm. right? That she had never dealt with that foundational aspect of it, and she mm-hmm. covered it up with everything else by changing her hair, by changing the way she dressed, mm-hmm. by moving close to her family. But the r- problem was that none of that was going to solve the fact that you were still dealing with the pain. That's right. What have you done um, when it comes to your foundation, to going back to that pain from mm-hmm. the foundation? Because I tell the story all the time. My 82-year-old yeah. auntie lost her son to gun violence. To the day, it's been over 40 years. She, did, she has dementia. She doesn't remember a lot of stuff, but she remembers that moment. 40 years later. So what are some of the things that you would recommend to people who are dealing with this kind of pain to do? Um, well, I ain't going to say. I, I, I would love if other people could do uh, what I had to do to address the pain. I went back to the young man that was sitting in jail, found guilty for murdering my son. Uh, just this past November, um, I contacted the parole board. I was on there. Um, I asked for him to be released because the pain that I had felt when I first lost my child, that same mother whose kid is sitting in jail, she had to feel the pain similar to it. So my thing was I didn't want nobody else to feel the pain that I was feeling. And in order to fix that problem so that this young man does not go out and recommit that crime, against somebody else or even begin to put himself in position where he would be the next victim, I had went and I asked the parole board if I could be a part of his rehabilitation. To cover my family, I asked that he not go back to the community where we lived, which was in the state of West Virginia, asked that he be sent to North Carolina. And there I got nonprofit organizations that I know there and ask them to build and develop a plan around this young man's life to help him be a greater asset to society. And that takes a lot, but that has really, it helped me. It helped lessen my pain on the inside because now I'm not looking at another child um, being lost to the system because things happen in here that they could lose their life inside of there. But I'm looking at the aspect of a hurting heart of a mother. You don't sow the same thing that was sown to you. You got to change that narrative. And, and this young man could well, help I, change so the narrative. Sorry. sorry. I, I do not want to cut you off, but I need you to say that one more time. For people. Mm-hmm. You don't what? <laughs> say it one more time for people. You don't sow. Yes, you don't sow what was sown to you. Absolutely. You have to change it. You have to really change it. And that that has changed my life tremendously. That's what has given me so much umph to be out there and be boots on the ground. I mean, it's just, just it's different. You know, people don't understand. Like, even I have family members that were upset with me about that, but they have to look at it from this standpoint. He had one, this was his last year for parole, so he had to have the accountability. But if he paroled out, he had, an, he had time where he would have some accountability if he did anything wrong. But if he stayed in there till March, in the month that he killed my son, he was to walk scot-free. He could be anywhere. So now we put accountability there, but we also force him into a position where he can make betterment for himself that he won't revert back to the same ways that got him there. So basically, 
the biggest aspect of rebuilding that foundation is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness, because yes. it takes a heart. Of, you know, one of the things that uh, Melvina has always surprised me about, and I don't mean to make this a black or white issue, but one of the things that's always surprised me about the black community is that we are very much able to forgive in ways that other people have not. When I traveled last year to Buffalo and I traveled last year to Uvalde, to hear how families felt in Uvalde was totally different than families who felt how they felt in Buffalo. Because people, when I went to Buffalo and I met with African-American families, they was like, dang, this hurts, but we forgive. Mm-hmm. Dang, this hurts, but we forgive. South Carolina, when the white man, Dylan Roof, went into the, the funeral, I mean, went into the Bible study and shot. They went into court the very, on his, at his, um, his hearing, his bond hearing or whatever, his arraignment, and literally said that what you meant for bad, God is going to turn around for our good. And yes. that's something that you don't see in every culture yes. that stands up and do that. So kudos to you. Kudos <laughs> to what you do. And if I can end this podcast by saying anything, I, I want to end this podcast by saying thank you. Because mm-hmm. what we don't sometimes do is we don't put a spotlight on people who are actually actively doing this work every day. Um, and you're out here actively doing this work every day. I don't know how many times you text or called me in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how many times I've texted or called you in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. You send people to me, I've sent people to you. Yes. Um, and I, I, am, I, I say this wholeheartedly. I am honored. No matter what happens after today, um, I am honored to know, to, to be able to say I have a friend named Melvina Clark. Um, wow. Because what you've done in the last... I think it's six months I've known you in my life um, has refocused me in a way that some other people could not have refocused me. So mm-hmm. I, I'm humbled. I'm humbled. And tell people who wants to know more about the Shakur Clark Foundation, how can they find out more information about you? Where are you located? Okay. Um, and, I, you know, that's my funnest mm-hmm. part. Is I love talking about this part. <laughs> but go ahead and tell them how they can find out more information about you, find you online, everything. Okay. Okay. Well, if you want to find us in person, you can find us right here at um, First Iconium uh, Baptist Church at the Reverend McDaniels um, Community Center. Um, and that's on Moreland Avenue, correct? Yeah, 542 Moreland Avenue Southeast. And, and just so while she's saying that, if you go to our website mm-hmm. and you click on the Reverend Timothy McDonald Community Outreach Center, you will find a, their logo and a link to that website as well. But she's going to give you the website. But at the 542 Moreland Avenue Southeast, and what other social media platforms? Um, uh, we're on uh, Instagram and Facebook. Um, and we also have a website, which is Shaquille Clark Foundation spelled out dot org. And then the email address is mclark uh, dot scf at gmail dot com. And then 770 870 4044. And just for anybody who missed that when she gave it to us, we will actually have all that on our website when this podcast goes out. You have all information. Thank you, Miss Clark, for being willing Thank to come you. on. And let me tell you something. Don't let her fool y'all. She was nervous coming out here. You did an amazing job. You did an amazing thank job. Thank you. Thank um, you. And we appreciate you coming and telling the story. But I, I, I want to really hearken on one part thing that you said today. If no, if you don't leave her with nothing else, um, she said something that was very powerful. She said, you don't, you don't sow what somebody else, you don't sow back into somebody what they've sown into you. Meaning if they sown something negative into you, you don't have to do it. And, and the crazy part about it, the way I know it was divinely, it was, this is a divine connection. When I met you, God had placed in my spirit 
He said, you will not be judged by how you treat other people, but I mean, you will not be judged by how other people treat you, but you will be judged by how you treat other people. Wow. And we're both saying the same thing. Yes. So I want to encourage everybody out there, if you have, if you listen to this podcast, understand that what you sow is what you're going to reap. If you want a good harvest, plant a good harvest. Um, and yes. thank you so much. Thank if you want more information about Black Push, about the Reverend Timothy McDonald Community Outreach Center, or more information about the Shaquille Clark Foundation, go to our website at www.blackpush.org. Click on Reverend Timothy McDonald Community Outreach Center. Their logo is there. And if you click on their logo, it'll take you directly to their website. But please follow them. Find out more information about them. Follow them on social media um, because we understand that the, the mission, as we say here at Black Push, the mission is greater than us all. Yeah. And until next time, have a blessed day. The question was asked to me the other day, why is the Reverend Timothy McDonald III Community Outreach Center so important to me? But I think about it, I think about Zion, I think about people like Cameron, I think about the children in Uvalde, I think about people in Buffalo, I think about um, the people we pass by on the streets as we come into work every day. And when we think about gun violence, when we think about violence, when we think about any kind of violence in our community, the only way we're going to resolve it is not going to be by looking to government and looking to elected officials because we know that they've been saddled on these issues for a while, but we have to have a community approach to it. We have to have a community involvement to it. We have to come together and go back to the principle that it takes a village to raise a child or to raise up a community. I think that this center will be an example to what we can do in our community. I think that this center represents the heart of what First Iconium and Black Push and all the organizations that are coming on board with us stands for. It's important for me that despite the challenges that may come despite people who may not like it, we have to persevere and we have to do it anyway. Because our children are too important, our families are too important, life is too important for us to stand back and have the opportunity to do something, but to be silent and do nothing. So if you're tired of being silent to kids being killed on the street, if you're tired of being silent to people not having access to just a simple job, if you're tired of being silent on people not having the education to be able to get a job that pays them more than $7.25 an hour, if you're tired of being silent on people dealing with mental health issues and not having resources or not having the ability to deal with those in the space besides the jail system, if you're tired of seeing people deal with conflict resolution and not know how to deal with each other or not know how to talk things through, then this is the place for you. And this is what this center is all about. And this is what this center will combat. So join us on the journey. Join us on the journey as we change the world and we show that we can change the world by community first.